time for the April 15th, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on Good Friday from the University of California at Irvine in the backyard of KECI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And as always, that supersonic speedster, Mahler, the fake news dog. Whoa! Good boy. Today we'll be talking about trophy animals, saving water, forged COVID cards, the Santa Ana police copyright infringement trap, and then some. But first, you like cheese, Mike? I'm a very mean, specific cheese liker. You're a very, you only like one specific well, cheese? Well, I have a pretty narrow range of cheeses that I will, yes. The range? The range is very fairly narrow. I mean, is it a taste range or is it just your range of cheeses? You, it, you mean it's not like a texture thing for me, although I've yeah. never been a big fan of brie. I don't under, yeah. quite understand that. You don't like that. the soft, soft stuff. Yeah, it just the, doesn't. But I like, right now I'm hooked on Trader Joe's Baby Swiss. Baby Swiss, baby Swiss is is fun. It's a fun, it's a fine cheese. It's not a, a powerful cheese in any way. No, they, a, they serve it. They give it in a block, or do they have it? In, it's a, the block. Yeah, 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 I would hope so, yeah, but you know, yeah. you never know. Yeah, I don't think I I could buy sliced cheese. That that bothers me. It bothers you. Yeah, that really, it's sort of, Yeah, just something about it. It feels. Yeah. You have the feeling if they've really sliced it, or they've kind of just grown it as a little square. <laughs> You know, whatever they call it, aged it as a little, a little thin <laughs> square somewhere, you know. How about yourself? How do you feel about the uh, this this issue of cheese? Where, the cheese where, where issue? do you come down? Yeah. I'm kind of open to a lot of different cheese okay. surprises. Okay. I, I remember liking blue cheese quite a oh, yeah. bunch when We've I was been through, a young oh, lad. I went through that phase. Yeah. yeah. And, I was exploring, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Feta is always kind of fun. Feta, yeah. You just kind of sprinkle that on, you know, <laughs> liven things up. That's a good cheese, yeah. But I, I like got to say, the one that really gets to me every time is yeah. a good fresh Parmesan. Oh, okay. You know, like just a, yeah. especially on a nice piece of toast, uh-huh. you know, a little bit of butter and okay. Parmesan. Just, just grill that thing up. I'll have to try that. You never had like a, never, a, a garlic bread. No, with I've a, never with had a some well, Parmesan. Yeah, no, on now it? that you say it, with a, yes, I have had that. Yes, yeah, it's a good it's, choice. It's tasty. Yes, can probably too salty or something's going on there yeah. in it. I you don't know, the, know the grated Parmesan that you can buy in the bag at Trader Joe's. <laughs> I'll just reach in and grab a What's handful. This trader, what are we advertising oh, for Trader this, Joe's okay. here? Grated car- Parmesan it's at a sto- at a specialty store. Yeah, that and, and you and I just pull out a handful and just shove that in my pie hole and i really? uh, yeah enjoy it yeah wow yeah just having it straight just straight up from the new york times a major cheese heist was scary Uh-oh. for dutch dairy farmers it was scary <laughs> yeah yeah thieves made off with thousands of pounds of cheese worth about twenty three thousand dollars from a dutch dairy okay gerda van dorp a dutch cheese farmer in the town of feinart Feinart woke up on March 29th to a mostly empty cheese storage room. And you know how that can be. 
That can be scary. Oh, that is scary. Yeah, yeah Molly. Well, <laughs> Molly's done that several times. Yeah, he didn't even like cheese. Yeah. He doesn't even like the yeah, doesn't like the thought of that. Overnight, <laughs> thieves had swiped 161 wheels of cheese weighing 3,500 pounds. That's a lot of cheese. That had taken months to make and mature. It was like waking up in a movie, said Gerda, who runs her business and farm together with her husband, Joost, Joost and Gerda. Selling the cheese inside the Netherlands might be difficult. Every wheel of cheese has its own serial number. Yeah, and farms add their locos to the cheese itself. To the cheese itself. We're not talking about a wrapper with a logo on it. They stamp it with a logo. And the number. And the the number. The serial number. Cheese from similar robberies in 2016 was later found on the Eastern European Black Cheese market. The Ruskies. Yeah. Thankfully, this doesn't happen often, but we're worried about how professional this has become, said Theo Decker, the chairman of an interest group for Dutch dairy farmers. These people come at night and take everything with brute force. (laughs) It's almost like organized crime. They know what they're doing, he said. That scares us. It's scary. Yeah. This brute force. Yeah. You know, you're around a lot of cheese. They're just knocking things knocking down. Up. Yeah, exactly. Ripping everything up, breaking into a refrigerator right. or wherever they're storing the right. cheese. Right. Wow. Brute force. Well, no matter how you slice it, this is a disturbing story. Yeah, I know. I, I've decided to maybe write a screenplay called Brute Cheese Force. <laughs> That's the working title right now, <laughs> and I'm not really sure. Cheese Pirates? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Black Market Cheese? <laughs> The problem isn't limited to the Netherlands. Italy's Parmesan cheese, oh my God. Oh no. Is a frequent target, including a daring nighttime heist of 25,000 pounds of assorted cheeses in 2018, which included Parmesan. Now they're hitting home. Yeah. Wisconsin has its own issues with what one cheese seller dubbed cheese pirates. In 2016, someone made off with more than 20,000 pounds of cheese valued at more than $46,000 when an unmarked trailer was stolen from a parking lot in Oak Creek. Now, that sounds like an incised cheese job to me. (laughs) What's the street value? It's it's in 46,000, but on the the street, what's it worth? Yeah, that's that's the other thing. Yeah, you you know, black market cheese. some cheese? Yeah, hey. Hey, kid. You want a thrill? Yeah. Want some toast? Yeah. Come want on, some Molly. toast? Yeah. Yeah. Here, I got some. I got. I got some parmy. He loves that parmy. Oh yeah, hey, parmy. On, try it. Try one. It's free. From Artnet News. Mm-hmm. Artnet. Mm-hmm. An anonymous buyer paid over one million dollars for a piece of invisible art. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a piece of invisible art. This is you have to follow this a little bit because it, it really isn't it, the art itself because the art didn't really exist. It's conceptual. Yeah, is what you're kind of. The receipt was the receipt is the piece of art oh. for one of Eve's Klein's zones of immaterial pictorial sensibility. That's what they bought. A zone, just one zone. They bought a zone. A, so there's more. Zone zone, hopefully, there's more zones of available. immaterial. Of immaterial, I got pictorial it. Pictorial sensibility. Another way of saying nothing. Another way of saying nothing. Or you're going around and you have you have pictorial sensibility, but there's no material attached to it. You've just bought a zone of it. 
Okay, so yeah. Okay, isn't a zone supposed to be something though? Well, how can you have a zone of nothing? Right. I don't know. Anyway, this zone of immaterial pictorial sensibility was described by Susby, Sousby's. That's the way it's pronounced, right? I'm just having trouble right Sotheby's. now. Uh, Sotheby's. Sotheby's. Yeah, Sotheby's. Sotheby's. Kind of a funny, it's so V buys. Sotheby's. As an early NFT, the old non-fungible token. Yeah. Before NFTs made the art world look even sillier than it already did, the artist Yves Klein also sold a simulacrum of intellectual property for profit. In this case, a receipt for solid gold. That's what this guy did. So he, he gave someone a receipt <laughs> for nothing, and they gave him gold. One of the key figures of the new realism movement. I don't remember him. Uh, yeah. A key figure? Okay. I, I guess so. I guess. Klein was a pioneer of conceptual art. Between 1959 and his death in 1962, he made one of the most outrageous artistic statements of his career, selling a series of receipts for invisible zones and accepting payment only in gold bullion. Now, six, days, six decades later, one of those signed receipts has sold for over $1 million at auction. A receipt for nothing. I wonder if it's the idea of the conceptual art behind it was driving the cost or if it's that he got away with it, the kind of the bravado of the idea. Yeah. You know, well, I, I think that is, you know, yeah, sort it's of a he, sign value of this thing. There's no real use to it. Right. There's no real there's no real exchange value, except there is exchange value, but it's all in the 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 idea, I think, that it's a uh, it, it, it's a status thing. Yeah. If I, can, if I have that much money yeah. that I can buy something that's not even there, boy, I'm really pretty cool or very stupid. Yeah. You're but walking I, the yeah. tightrope there. I think that's what I'm, in some way you're describing what I'm saying. I think I'm trying to say is that it's the idea that he was able to convince somebody. For him, yeah. 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 And that the people are saying... Right on, buddy. You 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 convinced somebody to spend the, that kind of money for. Well, he went down the rabbit hole of what is art. There you go. Yeah. I guess that's it. Uh, though signs sold numerous receipts for zones of immaterial pictorial sensibility, few exist today. That's because he encouraged his buyers to burn them. They, he wanted them to even burn what little they got for him. So in I, other words, so in other words, the perfect crime. Yeah, he got rid of all the evidence. <laughs> Part of a ritual in which the buyers asserted themselves as definitive owners of their purchase zone, right. or suckers who worship sign value, who and know. then and then burn the evidence. As part of the ritual, Klein would dump half the gold bullion into the sea. I guess he went back fishing later on. I'm not sure. While burning the receipt in the presence of witnesses, antiques dealer Jacques Cougol was the original owner of the receipt in question and is believed to be one of the few who didn't burn the evidence of their purchase. He cheated a con artist. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, there, yeah, exactly. The receipt, yeah. designed to look like a banker's check, has been shown at major European cultural institutions, like uh, McDonald's <laughs> and uh, French Disneyland, I think. Some have likened the transfer of a zone of sensitivity and the invention of receipts as an ancestor of the NFT, which itself allows the exchange of immaterial works. 
Sotheby's wrote in a auction catalog. Yeah, so that's what they said in their auction catalog. Mm -hmm. Who was this some who likened it, you know? Some have likened. It sounds like something Trump would say. It's, it's Fox Some News. have likened the, me yeah. to a genius. <laughs> some say. Yeah, some say. Some say Nathan's a genius. If we add that Klein kept a register of the successive owners of these zones, it is easy to find here another revolutionary concept, the blockchain. No, it isn't. Good God. I know. To pay a homage to that connection, the auction house accepted for the first time ever Cryptocurrency payments for the artwork. Perfect. Sotheby's, yeah. It's perfect. It's the perfect symmetry uh -huh. to this whole transaction. The sale far surpassed the initial estimated range of $300,000 to $550,000 after fees. The buyer will pay $1.2 million. Isn't this the snake eating its own tail? Is That's there, it, is the Ouroboros. It's sort of a kind of a thing. You ever get the feeling we're living in the Tower of Babel, Mike? Mm -hmm. Kind of feels that way. It does. Uh, I don't know. If this news makes you want to invest in something worthwhile, may I recommend a donation to KUCI? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI. CI 88.9 FM. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a question. Okay. I wonder if as we get closer to kind of dealing with the manifestation of climate and things that are, and systems breaking down, uh -huh. that this in some way, I wouldn't say it's illogical, what you just described, as in uh -huh. the, but it's something that's inevitable. In other words, as things become unmoored from what we know as a functional society where we have faith in institutions, uh -huh. these are the kinds of things that will feel normal on some way, in some way. I'm asking that as a question. I don't know. I think they're a driver of, of the situation we're in. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to be more abundant. Maybe, uh, you know, people will be slaughtered because they do foolish things like this. Well, that's a possibility. Okay. We don't know. We don't know. Okay. From Smithsonian Magazine, the Spanish Civil Guard is investigating a man with a private collection of 1,090 taxidermy, taxidermy animals. Hmm. Taxidermy, you know. Taxidermied. Yeah. <laughs> uh, taxidermologist, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, 1,090 animals, including about 400 protected species housed in large warehouses near Batera, a small town north of Valencia, Spain. The collection includes the Scimitar oryx, also called the North African oryx, which the International Union for Conservation of Nature declared extinct in the wild. The endangered Bengal tiger, the critically endangered Attix, also known as the white antelope, and specimens of cheetah, leopard, lion, lynx, polar bear, snow leopard, and white rhinoceros. The man also had crocodile skin chairs, stools made of elephant feet, and 198 elephant, ivory elephant tusks. The collection is worth over $31 million. I say they skin the owner and put him in the collection. <laughs> Jack just... up the price a little bit. 
You know, I'd consider that. I if, just was if thinking you skin that... the owner, <laughs> I'll go. give you $35 million. <laughs> I can't yeah. think of many more unappealing and horrific ideas of to, what to do with your life. Yeah, walk into a house and see all this crap hanging on the wall, yeah. these heads of animals. Especially the endangered species. Yeah. yeah I mean... Well, I mean, maybe, I'd, maybe your head on the wall would please me, but other than that, I don't know. Maybe Mahler's head on the Mahler, wall. I well, don't know. Mahler, that's that's a kind of who oh, says that kind of thing, Mahler. Uh, uh, more than four hundred of the animals are on CITES lists. Yeah. CITES, which stands for Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Flora, Fauna and Flora is an international agreement between governments to ensure that international trade in plants and animals does not threaten their survival in the wild. It's an agreement. The treaty was formed in the 1970s after governments recognized that wildlife trade was pushing species toward extinction and they had no way of regulating the industry across borders. So they're making an attempt at it. They're not making a good enough attempt. The owner has not yet been arrested, but could be charged with trafficking and other crimes against the environment. Authorities are also looking into whether the collection could go to natural science museums in Spain or nonprofits for research after the investigation. <sighs> I agree. From The Guardian. We like The Guardian here. I really like The Guardian. And what I like about it is free, too. You get pretty up-to-date stories. Yeah. Uh, you get new, uh, news uh, breaks before a lot of the other major papers, I too. I agree. The elusive ivory-billed woodpecker was thought to be extinct, Mike. Mm -hmm. But an expedition to the forest of Louisiana found that the bird, last seen in 1944, is, in fact, still alive. There you go. All right. In the forest of Louisiana. A three-year quest to find the woodpecker involves scientists searching through Louisiana woodland to observe the bird and take audio recordings. Unmanned trail cameras set up to take pictures on a time-lapse and a drone were used to capture photos of the creature. Steve Lada, the director of conservation at the National Aviary in Pittsburgh, who led the effort, said each member of the team had encounters with the ivory-billed woodpecker and often heard its call which has been described like hearing a child puff into a tiny trumpet. <laughs> Uncanny. You and Mahler have been been yeah. practicing. Been working uh, on yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Mahler. <laughs> Ivory-billed woodpeckers were once relatively common, stretching from the Carolinas through the southeast U.S. to Texas. They were, or are, the largest woodpeckers in the U.S., with the males sporting a distinctive red crest on their heads. Their numbers started to drop sharply in the 19th century due to human interference with their habitat and overhunting. They were also eaten by poverty-stricken people at the time. They're a big bird. Yeah. Quail. Yeah. With just a few of the birds occupying largely inaccessible forest, confirmed sightings, let alone clear pictures, became almost impossible. 
Last year, after years of listing the woodpecker as critically endangered, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service declared the species extinct just last year, and now it's been found. Yeah, they got Duh. they got <clears throat> egg on their face on that one. Jeffrey Hill, a biologist at Auburn University, said, Some people cannot believe a bird can defy documentation by modern humans because we have such dominion over nature. But it is endlessly interesting because of it. Because if it has done that, defy documentation, the bird, it's one pretty impressive bird. Yeah. People who are into birds are fascinated by them. Ivory bills couldn't care less, though. They hate all people. Sounds yep. like they have pretty good reason to hate all people. Yeah. We yeah. just go around eating them. Eating them. Yeah, exactly. Tastes like chicken. How do you know? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Oh, boy. Yeah. I don't know. Uh-oh. Here, come on, Mahler. <laughs> Clown car. Come on. Let's have a little playtime. Yeah, come on. You gonna get it? You gonna get it? Get it. Come on. Go, go. Good boy. He, you know, he just sits there waiting for you to do that. Uh-huh. You know, he's just, he's wagging like... Wagging his he's tail. He's just wagging his tail, staring at you for like 15 yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> From Los Angeles Times. Green lawns, old appliances, and leaky pipes all use lots of California water. Yes, they do. Now, in a new study, researchers have calculated the state could reduce water use by more than 30% by investing in measures to use water more efficiently. That's a big chunk. Yeah. The study at the Pacific Institute, a water think tank in Oakland, also found big untapped potential in local projects to recycle more wastewater and capture more stormwater. We've been saying that for a long time. The biggest potential for reducing water use lies in Southern California by reusing treated wastewater and collecting more runoff when it rains. Yes. So it's SoCal, of all of California, that could make the biggest impact. The study found that a host of existing technologies and standard practices could reduce total urban use between 30 and 48 percent. Wow. That's urban use. Fixing leaks in water pipes, replacing inefficient washing machines and toilets, and replacing lawns with plants suited to California's dry climate. Right. Kill your lawn. Kill your lawn. <sighs> and, and I don't know if it's uh, the case across the board, but city and county governments are willing to essentially subsidize you if you kill your lawn. They will, they will give you money. To replace it with something that's drought tolerant, native plants, etc. One of the other factors in what Nathan is describing is the fact that over the period of colonizing Southern California, we have paved over so much of the land that when it rains, the water has nowhere to go but into a flood control channel and out to sea. It used to be it would hit the ground and seep down into the water table those opportunities are few and far between now. You got to kind of think that's idiotic. It is. 
truly idiotic. Yeah. And I can't believe at the time it was happening that were there weren't people who understood the water system yeah. that didn't tell them we yeah. shouldn't be paving over everything. Yeah. Where's that water going? Uh, out in the ocean? Eh, we got plenty more where that came from. Well, the thing is, they didn't, and I think they realized that, too. I mean, that's yeah. why we yeah. you know, yeah. built the California aqueduct. Yeah. That's why Mulholland exists. That's why yeah. Uh, yeah, Chinatown was written. <laughs> it's all about water. California, the story of water is the story of California, or vice versa. Depending on whether it's a dry year or a wet year, they said, the research, the, um, the committee did, uh, the state could capture between 580 and 3 million acre feet of stormwater in urban areas of its municipal wastewater. California now recycles about 23 percent, an estimated 728,000 acre feet. Hmm. So we, we recycle 728 and we could um, capture uh, almost 3 million acre feet. But uh, we have the potential to triple that amount, the 728 that we re, uh, acre feet that we, 728,000 acre feet that we recycle. The study's authors said they found the biggest water saving potential in the South Coast region of Southern California, which includes Los Angeles and San Diego, in part because it's home to more than half the state's population. Yep or waste and water, and also because it has lots of outdoor landscaping in hotter climate. Yes. Kill your lawn. That's right. Drought-tolerant plants, native plants, these things thrive in our Mediterranean climate. They don't need as much water. They're beautiful. There's no reason in the world why we shouldn't all be moving towards something that looks like the actual fauna of this region. Yeah. Kill your lawn. Kill your lawn. You know, another thing, a small thing, uh, but... On your driveway, you you can do it so that you have blocks, sort of that that allowing water to seep down. And yeah. you know, I'm not pavers to, are a good way to do you it. Pavers, that's pavers are a good way to do any patio area because yeah. the water's not running off; it's exactly. going down into the soil. Exactly. The study focused on urban water use and didn't examine agriculture, which on average accounts for about eighty percent of the water that humans use in California. Eighty percent. That's it, agriculture. Yeah. Yep. That's, and and it's all the things that you just described are very important. We should all be doing them. County governments, city governments should be encouraging it. But at the end of the day, agriculture has more to do, a lot more yeah. to do, and the crops that they grow and all of the things that are contributing to our water usage. The uh, the committee though did kind of uh, refer to that agriculture and saying they're making an effort right now. They've already seen cutbacks because of shortages of surface water yeah. agriculture. Mm -hmm. They're already making changes in crop types. They're already improving irrigation efficiency by changing irrigation technology. And there's still enormous untapped potential in agriculture, and it needs to be addressed about cutting down the potential right. to cut down on the right. water. Speaking of dealing with drought, from Reuters News Service, as a punishing record-breaking drought enters its 13th year, Chile announced an unprecedented plan to ration water for the capital of Santiago, a city of nearly 6 million. The plan features a four-tier alert system that goes from green to red and starts with public service announcements, moves on to restricting water pressure, and ends with rotating water cuts of up to 24 hours for about 1.7 million customers. Mm -hmm. That's when it's starting to get serious. 
And that's what's going to happen here. I don't see any other way out. In another 10 or 20 years, you're going to see rotating water cuts. Yeah. It's going to be tough, too, because people will be hoarding it for the time they know the cut's going to come right. on. Right. There, there will be a point, and we've talked about this before, and it sounds sort of doomsday-ish, but nonetheless, when people turn on their faucets and nothing comes out, and it becomes something that happens on a regular basis, you are going to see violence in the streets of our cities. Well, or people are going to use their brains. You know, they have technology now that can pull the moisture out of the air and create fresh, drinkable water. There are technologies that are coming on. They're not on the scale that you would need to yeah. to be able to, to feed a city, but there are technologies that are trying to... Well, just kill your lawn for yeah. starts. Right, right, right. Don't be an idiot. See these people with these finely manicured lawns, like the Irvine City Hall, for example. Yes. How many acres is yeah. that thing? And, and they, they say it's recycled, recycled, but it's water. Yes. It's still water. Exactly. Yes, you recycle it. Great. Wonderful. Kill the lawn. The government estimates that the country's water availability, and this is in Chile, in Santiago, has dropped 10 to 37 percent over the last 30 years and could drop another 50 percent in northern and central Chile by 2060. This is the first time in history that Santiago has a water rationing plan due to the severity of climate change. The, uh, the governor of the, the uh, region there said, it's important for citizens to understand that climate change is here to stay. It's not just global, it's local. There you go. Nice to hear that from coming from somebody you don't expect. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, I, I've, I've talked about this before. You may not want me to say it again, but mm -hmm. it's beginning to affect cities around the world, not just Santiago, but the city of Mexico, Mexico City is sinking because they have sucked so much groundwater yeah. out from under it. The the capital of Indonesia, Jakarta, oh. they've it's sinking, and we're not talking a little bit. Jakarta sunk something like five to six feet yeah. over the last decade or so. Because they need fresh water and they're pumping been, it up. They've been pumping it out, and these it's collapsing yeah. the the aquifer causing them to move the capital of Indonesia. I don't think this is a story that's got enough attention. They're actually moving the capital of a major nation 200 miles away yeah. from where it was because of that. That's no good. That's no good at all. From Tulsa Public Radio, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt signed into law one of the most extreme abortion restrictions making performing an abortion a felony, felony published a felony public punishable by up to 10 years in prison unless done to save the life of a pregnant person. The bill, which provides no exception for pregnancies caused by rape or incest, will take effect in August, barring any court orders to block it. So if you're raped and get pregnant, Oklahoma Republicans want to force you to give birth. And if you are a victim of incest, same thing. Oklahoma Republicans want you to give birth. And meanwhile, a Texas abortion law, which also makes no exception for rape or incest, empowers bounty hunters to enforce a six-week abortion ban for personal profit. Yeah. They're giving away rewards if you turn in somebody who got an abortion. Or somebody who assisted you in going to a clinic yeah. where you might get an abortion. So some kid who's raped by her father. Right. 
and wants to get rid of the child before she gets to what four or five weeks. Yeah, six weeks. Yeah, I six think weeks. Takes, is, yeah, which is, yeah, which most I've been told yeah, most you, women you don't, know don't even know then. they're pregnant yeah. at six weeks. Yeah, that's the limit, though. The six week is the limit. Yeah, that's the outside yeah. limit. After that, you have to go to term. <sighs> I'm waiting. We're not that far away from jailing these women for manslaughter or murder. That's In some kind, of these states, along yeah. the continuum of where we're going. Women who seek an abortion could be convicted of attempted manslaughter or murder and those who go forward with a abortion could be charged with murder. Yeah. In fact, Donald Trump when asked by Chris Matthews during his campaign in 2016 asked should should the woman be prosecuted and he said yes. Yeah. One problem here though is that abortion is a constitutionally protected white right as determined by the US Supreme Court nearly half a century ago. But that's not going to last very long, given where we're headed. We have a 6-3 Supreme Court that is seems determined to essentially eviscerate without— maybe they won't do completely away with Roe, but they will make it functionally non-existent as a right. From Reason magazine, the federal government has agreed to return more than $1 million that California sheriff's deputies stole— from an armored car company that serves state-licensed marijuana businesses. Federal government yeah. is going to return $1 million. Well, let me put it this way. The partial settlement of a lawsuit that the Institute for Justice filed on behalf of a Pennsylvania company, Imperial Logistics, Imperial Logistics requires the Federal Justice Department to return money earned by businesses that federal law still creates treats as criminal enterprises because it came from businesses that the state views as perfectly legitimate. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the state's right thing that's uh, fallen to the state's advantage. San Bernardino County Sheriff's deputies stopped Imperial vans three times in November, December, and January, making off with about $700,000 the first time and about $350,000 the second time. During the third stop, the sheriffs came away empty-handed because the van was carrying rolls of corners of coins that had nothing to do with the cannabis industry. Since the marijuana businesses whose proceeds the deputy seized are legal in California, uh, the uh, chief of uh, the sheriffs, the head sheriff guy, <laughs> his name is uh, Dickus, I think. No, Dykus. Dickus handed the loot over to the FBI, hoping to ultimately keep up 80% of the money through federal forfeiture under the Justice Department's equitable sharing program. Mm -hmm. You know how they do that. Mm -hmm. The feds will do that. Yeah. Was it Dickus or Dykus? I forget. I don't know. It, it sounds like a, some, a character from a Mel Brooks film. That would be uh, Monty Python. Oh, Monty Python. Biggest dickus. The biggest dickus. Yeah. The so-called equitable sharing fell through after Imperial sued the Justice Department, the FBI, and the Drug Enforcement Administration, arguing that federal forfeiture of money would violate a congressional spending rider that bars the Justice Department from interfering with state and medical marijuana programs. So we have a, a good little rider there in the bill. Mm -hmm. The company said much of the money came from medical marijuana dispensaries. 
Imperial was operating legally under California law, but with current federal civil forfeiture laws, even compliant businesses can be targeted. So look out, says Institute for Justice senior attorney Dan Alban. As part of the settlement, Imperial dropped the federal defendants from its lawsuit. It's still suing uh, Dickus? (laughs) Yeah. Let's go with that. That's Dickus. Let's go with that. D-I-C-U-S. It's kind of hard. Mm-hmm. To figure it out here. That's... Dickus or Dicus? Yeah. It is suing Dickus, and the settlement does not address a separate seizure of $165,000 by Kansas sheriff's uh, deputies who targeted an imperial van carrying money from state-licensed medical marijuana dispensaries in Kansas City, Missouri, last May. Hmm. That's going to bother me. That, that the pronunciation yeah, of that. The, yeah. Well... Wish I could help you. From the Associated Press, a 60-year-old man allegedly allegedly had himself vaccinated against COVID-19 dozens of times in Germany in order to sell forged vaccination cards with real vaccine batch numbers to people not wanting to get vaccinated. So he just went into hyperdrive on getting vaccinated. 90 shots. 90. That's what they say. They estimated 90 shots. Yeah, he was finally caught at a vaccination center where he showed up twice in like one day after the other. They just recognized yeah. him. Hey, didn't you just come in yesterday for for a vaccination? What would that do to your immune system? Well, that's what they're wondering. Yeah. It was not immediately clear what impact the approximately 90 shots of COVID-19 vaccines, which were from different brands, too. He just went all over the map. Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, you name it. He Couldn't figure it. out what effect it would have on the man's health. Mm-hmm. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And he might not ever know. He <laughs> might just drop dead. Yeah. You if, know, I, I mean, I don't know how much he was getting for these cards. Yeah. It's a shame that people have to go through yeah. that. If this guy gets COVID... Yeah, it's all over. Yeah, for for the rest of us. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, wow. From the Washington Post, it was about. This is the Washington Post, by the way. Mm-hmm. They're talking about us. Uh oh, not you and me. No, but Santa Ana here in Orange County. It's about nine p.m. on a Monday night on a residential street in Santa Ana, California, when Disney songs begin blasting from a police cruiser. They're playing Disney really loud. The night soundtrack started with You've Got a Friend in Me from Toy Story. Police had been investigating a stolen vehicle, but when a Santa Ana City Councilman, Jonathan Hernandez, who was visiting nearby, asked, What's going on with the music here? The officer replied it had to do with copyright infringement and pointed to a man filming a video. So that's what police are doing now in a lot of places. They see you filming them. They will turn on music that's copyrighted, right. and therefore you, you can't, post, can't post the video. Right, exactly. Which is just one of these things which drives me crazy about intellectual property rights. Anyway, it's gotten that bad that you can't even hear in the background music playing without the person who wrote that music, or people really the people that hold the rights to that music. Yeah. Has nothing really to do with the people who wrote it. The people who have the rights to that music, usually big conglomerates, can see you no matter what's going on. You know, this has also something to do with police culture because 
we as citizens are allowed and entitled to document the activity of police yeah. without as long as we're not presenting a physical threat or we're impeding their investigation as long yeah. as we're not interfering with what they do we can do just what you're describing yeah. and and yet the police who claim to be guardians of the you know, protection of our community we're here to serve and protect are using this trick to to essentially not be held accountable yeah if you know, I'm not saying that every time they go in on a call, they abuse the public. Well, I I'm think just it's saying... our culture. I don't think it's police culture. I think everybody, okay. I think right. our That's culture fair. has gotten to the point where yeah. everybody will do anything they can so they don't get caught doing, or they can't be put uh, put on social media right. when they're doing something that's a little bit sketchy. Right. A modern way of putting it is that it's a hack. Yeah. It's a hack for not having to, to deal with the public filming you yeah. while you're doing your job. Yeah, the officer was trying to keep the video off of social media. I'm embarrassed that this is how they're treating my neighbors, Hernandez said, the Santa Ana City Councilman. Yeah. Uh, there's children here. It's 11 at night. And, and the police are out in the street playing loud music, right. Right. investigating something. Right. Yeah. Eventually, the officer apologized. Santa Ana Chief of Police David Valentin that's it. It's not Valentine. Valentin said in a statement that the department is investigating the incident. Police in other cities have been recorded playing copyrighted music in an effort to prevent videos of them from hitting YouTube and other social media sites, which can be which can remove content containing copyrighted materials. The video from Santa Ana is still posted to YouTube. Okay, It's been a while. It's been over a week where it has more than 45,000 views. In fact, they're playing it now. I don't know if they have the music, but they're playing it now on Fox and all the other local TVs. Yeah, I believe the New York City police have been doing this for a little while. Yeah, playing the music. Playing the music. Hernandez, the councilman, said he plans to introduce a ban on the practice during an upcoming city council session. I think they should. Yeah. Yeah, that's one approach. One way to kind of address that is... Well, what's the other? Essentially argue on your behalf which is yeah. that the people who own the copyrights and the lawyers who pursue it should have exceptions there should be carve outs if you will for for the use yeah. of their yeah they were at it from the beginning remember early on online there was some woman took a picture of her kid just playing and they happened to i don't know what product the kid was playing with mm -hmm. it happened to be in the photo mm -hmm. and she posted a picture of her child playing mm -hmm. But since it had this, you know, say, can of Coke in the frame, mm -hmm. Coke went after her. Which is just ridiculous. I mean, our culture has gotten to the point where portions of it we can't even duplicate right. because somebody else claims that they have the rights to it. Right. They have the rights to us even seeing it. Makes me angry. Mahler is, I don't have He's out in yeah, our yeah. backyard now. I didn't see him. How you doing, Mahler? Oh. Oh, God, now he's upset. Well, he could, he, you know, he heard you. Stop it. He's listening and, yeah. I'm going to, back. Okay. Ah, all right, all right. And finally, from Forbes magazine, the Miami Bull, an 11-foot, 3,000-pound statue outside the Miami Beach Convention Center had its testicles removed. 
when artist Furio Tedeschi submitted the statue's design to its corporate sponsor, Trade Station, it was anatomically correct, complete with testes. But without any consultation, Trade Station neutered the metal bowl to ensure it wasn't seen as promoting a male-focused financial industry. Prosperity and wealth shouldn't have any gender, said Marco Caruccio, uh, vice president at the online brokerage. This is Trade Center. Mm -hmm. The artist, Furio Tedeschi, felt differently. I'm sad to see that they removed them, Tedeschi said. Mm -hmm. I had designed some huge mechanical balls. (laughs) You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.